You're listening to the Lucas Italy podcast with food, culture and history from the land of Fiat and Fellini. Today, I'll be talking about how the queen of Neapolitan cuisine became Italy's most famous export to the world. I'll always remember eating my first pizza in Naples. It was at the Pizzeria da Michele in Via Cesare Sersale. This place is amazing. You can't book, you just have to turn up and take a number and then they call you when your table's ready. And people wait outside in the street for hours, I think, but I was waiting for an hour and a half. But there's a kind of carnival atmosphere in the street. And there are a couple of bars which do takeaway drinks. So people go and buy their drinks and then come back and wait. And the waiters call out your number using the slang from the famous Neapolitan tombola, which is a bit like bingo. For example, number one is l'Italia, Italy. Number 17, which is the Italian version of the Anglo-Saxon number 13, an unlucky number, is called la disgrazia. 25, Natale, Christmas. And I'll always remember my number, which was 88, because it was e case cavalle, or caccio cavallo, which is a kind of cheese. And as we'll see later, this was really appropriate. Inside Damichele is quite Spartan, with white tiles on the walls and formica tables. And in the corner, there's a huge wood-fired oven behind a kind of fence, which looks like it was put up to protect the pizzaioli from the hungry hordes. There are only two types of pizza on the menu, the marinara and the margherita. And this was a real shock because I'm used to my local bar in Caprese Michelangelo in Tuscany that serves a hundred different kinds of pizza. Anyway, I ordered a margarita and they're really well organised at Damichele and the pizza arrived in minutes. My first impression was that it was huge and it looked like a big red lake with white islands surrounded by a big crusty shore. But the crust was the most shocking thing because it was melt in your mouth soft. It had the consistency of marshmallow or what you think a cloud would taste like. And in the middle, under the tomato and the mozzarella, it was, it was wafer thin. So we soon went out, satisfied into the Neapolitan night. And as we left, I heard the waiters refusing to give new numbers to people who were coming to ask for them because they'd finished all the dough. So I realised that we were really, really lucky. This pizza was so good that I still remember it today. And it's the benchmark for every single pizza that I ate afterwards. And it actually led to me not eating pizza for about a year because I was afraid of being disappointed or I realised that no pizza that I ate outside Naples could ever live up to this astounding thing. I must say that today you can get some pretty amazing pizzas outside Naples, but none of them ever live up to the ones that I've had in the city itself. For most Italians, pizza is still synonymous with Naples. The origin of the pizza is unclear, but by the 18th century, it was popular in Naples as a food for the city's poor, the famous Lazzaroni. And the first pizzas appear to have been white, and there were three basic grades of pizza. The basic one, which was topped with garlic and lard, a more posh version, which had grated cavallo cheese on the top, you see, I told you that my number was appropriate. And then what I like to call the extra posh version, which had small fish on the top, a little bit like white bait. 
Again, it's unclear when people started putting tomatoes on pizza, although the official date for the pizza marinara, which has tomatoes on the top, is 1734. For the origins of the pizza margarita, however, we have to jump forward to 1889, when there was an official visit to Naples of the king and queen of Italy. And this is where the creation myth of the pizza margarita starts. The official version of the creation myth is as follows. The king and queen were bored with the French food that they were being served at the royal palace, and so the queen suggested that they try the famous pizza. So they summoned Raffaele Esposito, who was a pizzaiolo from Da Pietro, a pizzeria also known as Pietro e Basta, which was located near the royal palace. Esposito made three pizzas which he presented to the royal couple. The first was a pizza bianca, a white pizza, which was topped with lard, pecorino cheese and black pepper. The second was the pizza marinara, topped with tomatoes, oregano and garlic. And the third was a pizza topped with tomato and mozzarella, and apparently, at his wife's suggestion, Esposito added a few leaves of basil. The queen was said to have been delighted with all the pizzas, but said that the third one was her favourite, and she asked Esposito its name, and he said Margarita, which just so happened to be the queen's name too, and so the queen of Italian pizzas was born. To this day, there's a plaque on the wall of Pietro e Basta, which is now called the Pizzeria Brandi, and they have a letter of thanks from the palace to authenticate the story on display inside. Now, there's undoubtedly some truth to this story, but if you unpack it a little bit and have a look at it in the context of Italian history, what appears to be a rather banal story about a queen who liked pizza takes on much more importance and significance in the history of Italy. So let's go back and take a look in detail at some of the elements of the story. At the beginning of the story, we're told that the king and queen were tired of eating French food. Naples, for most of its history, had been under French or Spanish rule, which had left a lasting effect on its culture. Italy had only been a unified country since 1861. The last king before the unification of Italy had been a Spanish Bourbon, and the Spanish Bourbon family had started as a cadet line of the French monarchy. The king and queen in the story Umberto I and Queen Margherita were also from the House of Savoy, and the ancestral lands of the House of Savoy were in what's now Piemonte in northern Italy, but also over the border in France, and sometimes the Savoy family had been accused of being French. So this part of the story symbolises a break with the past. Let's forget French rule or accusations of being French and concentrate on being Italian. In 1883, an Italian journalist called Matilda Serrao wrote a book called Il Ventre di Napoli, or The Womb of Napoli. And in this book, she calls the pizza the classic food of the Neapolitan poor. Apparently, it was so cheap and available that it's what the poor people ate during the week, saving the more expensive pasta for high days, holidays and the weekend. 
In early unified Italy, the poor of Naples, known as the Lazzaroni, were considered a national disgrace. And in fact, the king in this story, Umberto I, had had a history of championing them. In 1884, there was a terrible cholera epidemic in Naples. And instead of going to open a new cheese factory in Pordenone, as had been planned, the king went to Naples, comforted the poor and dying, and oversaw their treatment. He's supposed to have sent a telegram explaining his change of plans, which said the following. A Pordenone si fa la festa, a Napoli si muore. Vado a Napoli which means they're having a party in Pordenone. In Naples, they're dying. I'm going to Naples. After the epidemic was finished, the king also oversaw reform laws to stop it happening again. And because of all of this, he became known as Il Re Buono, the good king. This behaviour is even more touching when one considers that in 1878, during his first visit to Naples, an anarchist cook called Passanante tried to kill him with a 12-centimetre cook's knife, citing high flour prices as one of his grievances. The assassination attempt failed after the assassin was hit in the face with a bouquet of flowers by the indomitable Queen Margarita. Passanante was sentenced to death, but his sentence was commuted by the king, perhaps out of sympathy for the plight of the poor. However, the treatment he received in prison for the rest of his life seems really to have been a fate worse than death. A happier episode in the 1878 visit to Naples was when the local farmers presented the king with their variety of tomato and named it Re Umberto after him. Today, this variety is considered an Italian heirloom variety and is an ancestor of the famous Neapolitan San Marzano tomato, which is the one which is used on pizzas today. So perhaps Margherita chose one of the two pizzas with tomatoes on, knowing that the tomato was named after her dear husband as a sign of respect to the king. With the addition of the basil, the pizza Margherita took on the colours of the unified Italian flag, red tomatoes, white mozzarella, and green basil. And perhaps there was some patriotism involved here, both on the side of Esposito, the creator, and also of Margarita, the judge. Maybe, mindful of the 1878 assassination attempt, the centuries of French and Spanish influence, and also the origins of the Savoy family, the story was trying to paint the Neapolitan people as patriotic to the unified Italy. And that leaves us with the name Pizza Margarita. Was it really the invention of quick-witted Esposito? Or, as some people have suggested recently, already the name of the pizza? There are definitely written records of pizza with tomatoes and slices of mozzarella that predate 1889. And it's been pointed out that if you put the circular slices of mozzarella in a circle around the pizza, the cooked pizza has the aspect of a flower or a daisy. And daisy in Italian is margherita. So maybe this was already the name of the pizza and the story simply transposes the origin onto the queen herself. Whether the story was completely true or partly fabricated, it seems to have been designed and used to place the pizza at the centre of the national culinary 
tradition, and also to embrace Naples as fully part of the unified Italian state. The Pizza Margherita, however, would not attain its current status as an Italian national icon for about another 80 years, and for this time it remained firmly associated with Naples. In 1891, when Pellegrino Artusi wrote his cookbook in which he gathered together recipes from all of the unified Italy, he doesn't mention the pizza. In 1938, the Italian government published Ristoranti d'Italia, an official government guide to restaurants in Italy, and all of the pizzerias mentioned in the book are in or around Naples. In 1954, when the makers of the film Loro di Napoli um, wanted to make Sophia Loren's character an all-Neapolitan girl, they made her a pizzaiolo. And it wasn't until the 1960s or 70s that the pizza really became diffused all over Italy and became what practically today is the national dish. It appears that in the 1980s, the Neapolitans themselves were a bit alarmed by this newfound popularity of their pizza in Italy. In 1984, they set up the Associazione Verace Pizza Napoletana. And today, this association oversees the specifications for the Neapolitan pizza and accredits restaurants which serve it worldwide. They also provide courses on how to make the pizza and train pizzaioli. They have very detailed specifications on how to make the dough and also how to make the toppings and how to present the pizza margarita, which they describe as having the following ingredients. Tomato, olive oil, mozzarella or fior di latte, which is like a, a higher quality version of mozzarella, grated cheese, hard cheese, parmesan style, and basil. So, next time you tuck into a delicious pizza margarita, remember, you're not just eating a pizza, you're eating Italy's most patriotic dish. Thank you once again for continuing to listen to, rate, and also review my podcast. I've been a little bit overwhelmed with the response, so thank you very, very much. As promised, I'm going to continue to read out the reviews, so if you want to hear yourself mentioned on the podcast, get reviewing. This week's review comes from user Mr. McLaren, and it says, excellent and informative. This is a great listen. Who knew Panettone was so interesting? Luca's passion for Italy is clear. Can't wait for the next one. Bravo. If you want to help me produce this podcast or can't wait for the next episode and so want some extras, you can become a patron on my new Patreon page. And the link is in the show notes, but it's also patreon.com forward slash Lucas Italy. So all that remains is for me to wish you a fantastic week and see you next week. Ciao.